Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Okay, stand with me if you would, please. Give you time to get up, wake up, thaw out. Hold your Bibles up high. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to welcome all of you who are here in-house and welcome all of you who are watching online today and those of you who will be watching throughout the week on one of our platforms, Instagram, Facebook, podcast, whatever it might be, welcome to this worship experience. We pray that in some way, something that's said today will have an impact on your life to make you a different, better person, the person you want to be been doing a series entitled Passages to His Promises, or you could say Pathways to the Promises of God. The Bible is filled with promises. The Bible is full of what God says about us and wants to do through us. Uh, oftentimes, we think the Bible is, is just a book that records history and that tells us what happened to Israel and how those lives were lived and all that God did back in the day. As a result, many people don't pick the Bible up because they were never instructed that the Bible was also written to tell us about what God has for us today, His promises today. When he, The Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means the things He did in the past, the things He will do today, and the things that He will do in the future, the promises that He holds for us, He's still doing. And so, uh, most of the time, if we get born again and, and don't get in a church that preaches about the promises of God, we just simply are hanging on to the seed of salvation. And that's good that we want to be saved and we want to go to heaven. That's all great. But the devil would love for us to leave it there instead of saying, I want God's kingdom to come, His will to be done on earth now as it is in heaven. And it takes a little strength. It takes overcoming uh, some things to hang on to the promises of God and the truths of God so that we can experience all of God. And so uh, I, I was talking to some guys earlier, and, and the challenge is that we find excuses. Some of those excuses we make up ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. And, you know, I'm not wealthy enough. And you, you go down the list of excusing yourself because you have accepted uh, your humanity instead of embracing his deity in you. That means his power, his strength, his godliness in us. And so, and then the other thing that happens is we use excuses be, based on how we were brought up and the people in our lives. And I always, always told I, I would never amount to much. I didn't make good enough grades. I wasn't at the top of my class. And, and you've listened to those voices, and those voices 
have given you somehow uh, the, the, the excuse that, well, what they said is probably true. And how many of you know we're always going to hear things that sometimes intentionally people want to hold you back and you raise the bar, you set a new standard about I'm going to do better this year, I'm going to do certain things and people will criticize that or that's intentional. But then there are people who say things they don't mean to say like, well, you, you, you look good today. Well, the implication is you didn't look so good the last time I saw you. Now, they didn't mean anything by that. They didn't, you know, and somebody says, well, you look good for your age. I don't know how somebody at any age is supposed to look. Why don't you just say you look good? But all of those things, you, you don't initially, it doesn't hit you, but the devil will take a seed of someone's voice or what they said, and you'll begin to think, well, what, what did I look like? Or what, what, you know, and you begin to ponder that. Uh, I've got, uh, I told you all about my grandson in, in Seattle, and uh, he's just, it's been really fun. He's so far away, but this last trip up, because he's older now, and we can talk, and we can have fun, and we can play Hot Wheels together, and we can do things, and I was up there in November, and, and really, we made a connection, and, and the connection that we made wasn't really that the one I would have wanted to make. The very first thing he said, we were sitting in a chair, and he came up behind me and said, Pops, you don't have any hair. Well, it wasn't his intention to, to hurt my feelings, and, and so I just turned around and I looked at him. I said, you know why? I said, because I told God to wait until you were born and give you my hair. And he just, he thought that was the coolest thing ever. I said, because you have a lot of beautiful hair. And so we connected there, and, and so and then he started asking his dad to FaceTime me, and, and it, it's just been a really wonderful time. But I got a text a few days ago from my my son, and he was telling me about a conversation that he and Asher had had about me. And he texted me, and he said, uh, Asher just said, I want to guess how old Pops is. That's what he calls me, Pops. I want to guess how old Pops is. He said, I think I'll have to go high because he's super old. <laughs> and then, then he said, 55. And I, I was like, Great. And my son says, I, I don't know if you should feel complimented or insulted. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I texted him back, and I said, I feel complimented just because he's thinking about me and talking about me, not to mention he's right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, you know, there probably would have been a time in my life where I would have gone to bed and I would have thought all these things about it and, you know, and, and considered everything he said. But, but it just warmed my heart because, truthfully, he's thinking about me. And I don't care what he says. I, I mean, I really don't. The fact that I'm in his mind and his heart just excited me. And so sometimes people say things, and, and, and you take those things, and, and before long, the devil will grow weeds in your soul. And you will begin to think wrong things, things that really weren't meant to hurt you. Somebody innocently said something, and as a result of that, it creates a pain. And anytime you have pain, that pain can prevent you from the promises of God. Why? Because your focus is not on the promise, it's on the pain. 
And the devil would love for you to keep thinking about the pains in life, the regrets of your past, the, the things that you've done wrong, the jobs you've been fired from, the divorces you've gone through, the, the kids that haven't turned out the way you want. All those things create a pain if we allow it. Now, one person said pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. So we're all going to experience pain, but we don't all have to experience misery. Misery is the option that we exercise by continuing to entertain the pain. And so what I've had to do in my life, I've, just like many of you, maybe most of you, we, we look back on things that we wish had not happened the way they did. And, uh, and, and you know what? Maybe some of those things, rightfully, we really shouldn't have happened the way they did, but they did. And, and you know what? You say, well, will that pain ever go away? Well, I don't know that it will be the pain it was, but it will always have just a little bit of memory. But, but, but I try to bring the good out of that. You know what I learned from that pain? You know what I learned from that experience? That was the worst experience of my life. But let me tell you something. That worst experience made me take a look that's made me a better person today. So... And I've told people, I said, you know, I wouldn't ever want to go through it again, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because of the lessons I learned through that process. So we can turn a pain into something, a gain, if you will, by how we approach it, how we respond to it. Everyone in here, and those of you watching online, have experienced pain in life. And if you, if you don't acknowledge that, that's even a greater pain. Because you're, you're refusing to take a pain that was intended to keep you down and use it as a stepping stone to your future. And so, uh, I, this, this message today, it, it, we're going back to the story of, of Rahab. And uh, I just want to set the, the, the tone here because when we read the Bible, we, get to, we have the luxury of seeing the outcome. And that, to me, is really interesting. When I think about it, I think about the story of David, for instance, and, and David being a man after God's own heart, David being obedient to his father and taking care of the flock and, and standing literally between sheep and death by killing lions and bears and fighting that fight. And, boy, we look at David and his life and how absolutely incredible David must have been and what a man of God. He, then he kills the giant Goliath and, man, David's such a hero. But the reason we say that is because... We, you know, we know the end of the story, but somewhere in the middle there is Bathsheba, bathing Bathsheba, because that's what was happening. David is standing on the balcony looking at the bathtub. I'm just being slow here because we read the Bible and we do have that luxury of seeing the outcome, but we forget that David actually not only another man's wife, but he killed her husband. Ooh. If we forget that, it's easy to have David preach in the year 2023. Because after all, we know the end of the story. You see, that's the problem is you don't know the end of your story because you're still writing it. 
And, and David continued in the midst of his pain and weeping and not showering, not taking a bath at the loss of his son that was born to her, and, and he loses him, and, and David's in agony. And finally, after, one, after the son dies, he's praying he won't die after he dies, they said that David's servants saw him get up, and he cleaned up, and he straightened up, and he decided that pain will not keep me from God's call. And, 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 and the Bible says the explanation was he can never return to me, but someday I will go to him. He turned it. He flipped the painful script and decided that I'm not going to allow a moment, a season, if you... This is not like just a little moment. This happened. This is over a period of time. We know it takes nine months for a child to be born. And, and prior to that, how much time with Bathsheba and how much time it took for him to kill her husband. And there must have been years. And David is in this season of, of, of pain and drain and conflict. But he refused to let the pain identify him or define him. You're not going to have an easy passage to God's promises. That will be the most negative I get today. Because the devil does not want you to glorify God by living the life God's called you to live. That's a reason there's a highway to hell and a stairway to heaven. And some of y'all may not get that, but that's how the songs were written, and I think it was somewhat prophetic. It's a stairway to heaven. It doesn't say it's an elevator to heaven, an escalator to heaven, a moving sidewalk to heaven. It's a stairway to heaven. And sometimes we have to be bold enough and strong enough and have enough fight in us to realize it's going to take some pain. There's an old saying in the gym, no pain, no gain. In order for your muscles to grow, it's scientifically proven you tear them. And then protein comes back in and rebuilds them stronger. I have a friend in Austin. Uh, he and I went to college together. He married a lady who became a chiropractor. Her brother's a chiropractor. Her dad's a chiropractor. Her dad is now in his 80s, and her mother, they both uh, are amazing people, all of them. And I went to a wedding a couple years ago, and we were talking, and I said, man, Laura, your mom and dad look great. I said, how old are they now? She told me they're somewhere in the 80s. I said, that's amazing. So let me tell you something, what they did. They bought a house intentionally to where they have to climb stairs. Yeah, most people start getting older. Well, we start to start gearing down. We, we got to get a one story. We got to make all these changes. And I'm not being critical of that choice, but they decided, you know what? As long as we have to climb chairs, uh, stairs, we're going to get stronger. And they, to this day, they still live in a home where they climb stairs. Now, I thought that was an amazing approach to fighting the 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 norm or the standard of, well, we're getting older. You know, people start making adjustments by, based on their age, not their need. You start, you start defining how you're going to live by the numbers on your driver's license. Instead of saying, I'm not going to live my life how people say I'm supposed to live my life. I'm going to live it till I drop. I'm not going to drop and quit living it. 
And so you have to develop a fight in you that says, I'm not going to look at the things around me and the words spoken to me and the age that I'm given to define my life. Susan and I are taking a road trip, and, and we were talking to one of our kids, and we were saying, you know, we used to drive all the time. You'd drive through the night. You know, you just, I got to get to where I'm going, you know. And, you know, you know how kids are. I'll beat it. I can do this. Well, you know, I'm not suggesting that's wise, but the only reason I wouldn't drive 24 hours to, uh, now is because I'm smart. It's not because I'm old. I'm smart. It's dumb to drive 24 hours straight and press through. It's just dumb. But they said, well, you know, when you get older, your joints. I said, stop right there. My joints are great. I can outdo it. Matter of fact, I'll take you on. <laughs> no, true story. I was at, I was at one of my, my friend's house, and we were having this. Uh, we meet these guys I went to school with. We get together all the time. And so we were, we'd meet at different places, and we were at his house, same guy in Austin. And his son is a pretty big guy. And this was probably five, six years ago. And uh, so we're standing in the kitchen. We're just all talking and standing around talking. His son comes in. His son's in his 20s. And he's a big kid. And, and, and of course, I've been working out a long time, and I didn't think much about it. He just walked in and said, hey, old man. Got my attention. I said, well, how you doing? He said, hey. Let's go in my dad's gym and see who can lift the most. And I thought, nah, I don't need to show you up. I don't need to do that. So I, I, I said two or three times, and finally his dad said, just go in and do it. I said, okay. So we got the heaviest weights he had, dumbbells. And the goal was, and everybody comes in there, and he said, who can do this the most? So I think it was 120 pounds, 60 in each hand. So I got on the bench first, and... And I started turning out reps, and I lifted it 42 times, 120 pounds, 42 times. I thought, well, that's the best I can do. He got on the bench and did it 27. Take that, old man. Yeah. Now, the reason I share that with you is because I could have easily bowed out, and I wasn't going to do it because I thought I could beat him. And I didn't want to be arrogant, but I've been exercising for a long time, 26 years, longer than he's been alive. And I'm thinking, you're talking to the wrong dude. You're barking up the wrong tree, Doc. Matter of fact, I'll go do it and die just to beat you. I've got a generation to represent here. And you little punk generation, you ain't going to talk to my generation like that. We old people going to show you some business. I'm trying to fire you up today. Don't let your kids talk to you like that. Say, punk, go out there and see if you can even start the mower. You don't even know how. <laughs> yeah, they don't even know what a mower is. What's that? So the, the point is that, that there will always be people trying to label you trying to define you, trying to make you somebody you're not, somebody that makes them feel superior to you because you bow down to that kind of, and he's a good kid. I'm not saying that. He's just fun, and, 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 and he'll never do that again because I can still beat him today. And so what happens is sometimes they put labels on us, and the story of Rahab's no different. She had a label. She had been defined by her profession. The Bible calls her a prostitute. Today we would call her hooker. 
And I'm not talking about furniture. She could have been easily to find the city, knew who she was. So much so that when the spies came to the land in Jericho, this is their last stop going into the promised land. How many of you have heard the saying, it's not how you start, it's how you finish? Well, Israel started, and they had a bad start, so finishing better wasn't going to be that tough, you'd think. Forty years, it should have taken two and a half weeks to get to the promised land, but they, they were so disobedient and so resistant and so weak that it took 40 years. Finally, they're at the last stop, and there's Jericho, a fortified city. Rahab is in the lower class area. She's a prostitute. And historians say she lived in a poorer part of town because she was nearest the wall, which would be most susceptible if somebody breached that wall. So here she is. She's a prostitute, which means she probably wasn't the one they were asking to serve communion in the local synagogue. She wasn't one that, the, that everybody says, I hang out with Rahab, because now they're guilty by association. And so now here she is, and God sends spies into the land directly to her house. And it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Israel, go over uh, the lands, he said, especially Jericho. So they went, entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. That means the king knew who she was. Rahab had a reputation. When the king knows where the hooker is, and he knows her by name, let me tell you something. The woman had a great social media outlet. For him to know who she was and where she lived and what she did... He's not going to politicians, senators, governors, uh, priests, rabbis. He's going to her house. I think that's really cool. It tells me something about God. Goes, God says, you think you have a reputation? Let me tell you something. I'm not worried about your reputation. I'm thinking about your destiny and overcoming what other people think about you, say about you. I have a plan for your life that exceeds your label and your reputation. You are who you are, not because somebody else made you who you are. You are who you are because you embraced who they said you were. You decided that you would live at the level of somebody else's confession about you. Well, you're not at the top of your class. You're not good enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not tall enough. You've embraced that, you, the I can'ts instead of the I can's. Rahab decided, I'm not going to let this happen anymore. She decided that she would get on the side of God. Now, listen to this. Something else I want to challenge you with is this. Oftentimes, we pray at the level of our own perception. We pray at the level of how we perceive ourselves. 
you perceive yourself as a drug addict, uh, an alcoholic, or you're still going to AA, or whatever it is. And, and, and thank God for all these things because they keep our minds saying the right things, our words. You never judge somebody for where they're going or what they're doing. And, and so you perceive, I can only approach God at this level because this is the level I live at. I'm poor. I have a bad reputation. I've done a lot of bad things. I have a lot of regrets. So when you go to God and pray, you don't go with boldness. You go scared to death. I know because I lived there. Well, God, you think you could help somebody like me? I know I've done a lot of bad things. I've hurt a lot of people. I've done a lot. And so we approach God. And let me tell you something. When you approach God like that, that's not a lot of faith. Glad you're approaching God. That's not a lot of faith. Let me tell you something. If you have children and one of your children comes to you and goes, you think I could have dinner? You'd feel about this tall going, they think that I don't want to feed them? They think that I don't care enough to provide for them? And yet we put God in that category like when you go to God, you treat him like he wants you to hurt. The Bible says in Hebrews that we're, a, we're told to approach the throne of God with boldness. Not arrogance, boldness. But to tell you, religious people think boldness is arrogance. It's synonymous with arrogance. When I tell you what the Bible says, that, that somebody says, well, you're dumb. I say, no, 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 I have the mind of Christ. Well, you'll never make it. Hold on, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm creating the image and likeness of God. I have the mind of Christ. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm obedient, so I'm going to eat the good of the land. My enemies come at me from one direction. They're going to flee in seven. We have a lot of people who hate you. Well, I'll be praying for them because they're going to need it. Because when they come after me, they're coming after God. Why? Because I'm a child of God. You let somebody come after one of my kids, they got to come after me because I'm coming after them. Do you see how this works? We somehow separate God out like he really doesn't understand us. Hold it. He created us. He understands us. And the problem is we don't understand him. God is a good God. God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. And so when I approach God, I kind of sometimes, I tell you, if you ever get around me in prayer, you, you might cringe a little bit thinking lightning's going to strike. There are times I go to God and I said, hey, hold on here. Here's what you told me. I think God goes, yeah, yeah. You said that if a thief's caught stealing, he has to pay back seven times. Go get him. You told me you would do this. Get on it. See, now some of you are right now going, oh, God, we're going back to the Lutheran church. <laughs> I want you to step up your confession. When the devil brings doubt into my mind, to say, hold on here. God has not left me nor forsook me. He's right here with me. When you talk to me, you better know that somebody else is listening. And when I talk to you, you need to know I'm listening to the one that's listening to you, and I know what he says about me. He who began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. His gifts and callings are without repentance. I'm going to keep opening my mouth to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care what you say. I don't care what anybody says. I'll preach it the rest of my life. Well, you're not perfect. Well, neither are you, Gomer. He didn't call me because I was perfect. I think he called me because I'd like Rahab. <laughs> There's a male Rahab. Let's go after him. 
See, we lie to ourselves. I don't lie to myself. I know who I was. I know what I'm capable of. I know all those things to this day. I know that. I still wake up every day shocked that he uses me. Wow, I get to do this? Really, Jesus, I get to stand up and talk about you? Wow, what a privilege. And some of y'all go, well, that must be it for you. No, you're supposed to talk about him too. This is, not, this is not my pulpit. My pulpit's out there. This is my rallying point to equip the saints to go tell the story. We have the greatest story ever, and we never talk about it. We're out in public, and, and it's like, well, I don't want to run anybody off. Well, you want them to go to hell? Don't want to offend you. I want to offend the hell out of you. Well... I said hell twice in one service, probably over my quota. Three times? Three times. Hell, four times. We get so tentative. We, we think God is so fragile and, and he won't understand. And if I'm too bold, he'll think I'm arrogant and he'll get mad at me and he will surely smite me. <laughs> Rahab goes, now, promise me by God. This We're talking prostitute here. We're talking, we're talking a woman like ching, ching, ching. Making a living in a way that none of us would go, hey, I, I got to tell you all something. I went to prostitute school. I graduated the top of my class. Just putting it in perspective. We don't do that. You, you know, this profession didn't come with a lot of, <laughs> let me tell you about my daughter, what she's up to today. She's the best in town. That's not how we roll. But Rahab had a different mindset. <laughs> You'll never hear this message again from anybody. Now, promise me by God, she says, I showed you mercy. Now, you show my family mercy. She didn't go, oh, please, would you show me? She said, you do it. Basically, she knew she was really talking to God because these were representatives of God. She said, now, I don't have a hotline to him yet, but let me tell you something. This is getting ready to get good because, listen, if you go to the New Testament, Rahab is a part of the ancestry of Christ. Now, that's a family tree. Yeah, we all know what that's like because we all have a Rahab in our family. And some of you go, not us. We're so pristine. No, we all got something in there that we're not really proud of. But Rahab didn't beg. She made a comment, a statement, a profession of faith. I'm going to tell you, when you get around people who are anointed, it'll get on you. When you get around people of faith, it'll get on you. When you get around people who have a good confession, it'll get on you. You hang around with a bunch of turkeys who talk trash, you'll become a trash man or a trash woman. You'll begin to take on what they're dishing out. Listen, I don't put up with that. People actually get mad at me when they start, well, I'm just venting. I said, don't vent on me. Because really what venting means is vomiting. Well, I just wanted to call and vent. Well, let's just call and say what God's going to do. Let me tell you what happened today. Well, here's what's going to happen now. 
I'm just telling you right now, somebody coming against me is like coming against my daddy, so I'm calling daddy right now. He's the defender of my life, my faith, everything about me. And I don't get mad. I just say, look, you know, here's what God's going to do. I'm just believing God, everything that, that you, if somebody, get, I, and I have people get mad at me pretty much every week. It's a wonderful job. I'll never forget when I first started pastoring, somebody said, I'm leaving the church. I'd go, oh, no, no, please. Now I look and go, can I hold the door open? I don't mean to be mean, but here's what God taught me. He said, everyone that leaves, you pray I'll replace them with 10 people who are better. Now, see, that sounds arrogant to some of you, but it's my way of surviving. I'm looking because I love people. I love all of you. But if you leave mad at me, you need to talk to my daddy because he loves me. No, and hey, don't ever go anywhere mad. Don't ever let anger or a wrong emotion direct you. You won't end up in the promise. You'll end up in the prison, and Jesse will be your pastor. <laughs> I mean, we got it ready. We're ready for all you that want to be prisoners. Well, go ahead. For those of you who don't know, Pastor Jesse's in prisons every week preaching the gospel, has been for 28 or so years. Bringing hope to the hopeless. And so we want to keep you out of that. And most of you will never be physically incarcerated. But many, if not most Christians, are spiritually and soul incarcerated. You are imprisoned by the words somebody spoke to you. Your spirit man is dwarfed because you haven't fed your spirit with the spirit of God and the words of God. This is, this is your, everybody ought to have one of these right here. Even on your phone, open it up before you make decisions. God, I want to reach out and smack someone. He said, forgive. I don't want to. But he, then he goes on, if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. I hate it when God qualifies a statement. So when I look at the story of Rahab and I look at the pain in her life. She said, and give me some tangible proof, a guarantee of life. Listen to this. For my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and everyone connected with my family. This woman didn't ask just to spare her life. She said, look, if, you're, if I'm going to do this for you, anybody connected to me, it's like a mafia. Yo, you touch my brother, I'll kill your kid. I'll take your dog. She's like, if I'm going to do this for you, everybody connected to me needs to be protected. So now you see the boldness. I want you to have a boldness because to get to the promises of God, your passage is narrow. Getting there is narrow. Many people will never arrive at the promises of God because there are so many things in your head going on telling you, you don't deserve it. You're not worthy. Look at what you've done. Keep looking at your past. Make sure you never do this again. Hold on. I'm looking at my future that's leading me, not the past that's beating me. Quit apologizing for things that Jesus has forgotten. Somebody says, well, you, you must not be sorry. 
No, I don't have to live sorry. I've repented. I've turned. I've released it. I'm forgiven. And if you can't forget it, you need to get your mind right with God because he doesn't know what you're talking about when we talk about my past. So, it's your choice. You can live in pain. You can stay in pain. You see, one person wrote, change is inevitable. That means good, bad, or otherwise. Change is inevitable. You get to change one way or the other, but growth is intentional. Change is inevitable, but if you're going to grow, it's intentional. Doesn't mean every change is going to be good. People sometimes change and get worse or they go sideways, but they never go upward. Growth will require you to be intentional. My confession is intentional. I don't get up every day and want to go, oh, it's a glorious day. But I know the words of my mouth will frame the future of my life. So I'm going to say the things that God says about me. I'm going to say the things that God says it takes to get to my promise. Because I'm going to possess the promises of God. I declare, and I've had a great life, but I'm going to tell you, the latter years of my life were going to be better than my former. You say, how is that possible, you old dude? Because God loves old dudes. And do debts. Don't ever excuse the promises of God because now you're older. Man, I, I love Caleb when he's like 80-some years old, and he, he said. Give me the land. I'm as strong now as I was then. That's the way I'm going to talk. You don't ever call me an old man. I'll throw you down. I may not last long, but I'll choke you out. <laughs> not you physically, literally, but metaphorically, spiritually, I will choke you out. Don't give ground to the devil that Jesus paid for. It's your deed. It's in your name. It's not in the devil's name. It's in your name and his name. And don't let people have it. The passage to your promise is your choice. It's not how you were brought up, not the education, lack of, not the family you were born into, not the things that have happened to your life. Use those things as launching pads instead of stumbling stones. Launch yourself to the future. God's got a plan beyond what you can imagine. I don't care how old you are. If you say, well, you know, I'm 80. I don't have much. Accelerate. Pedal to the metal. And people will look and think, that's a fast granny. Yes, indeed. Keep it up. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're an awesome God, and we are so honored that you have such patience with us. And, and Lord, we're just grateful for all that you are and all that you do. Lord, help us to find strength in our pursuit of your promises. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask everyone to pray this with me. Those of you watching live online and those of you who will be watching throughout the week, right now you've tuned in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever it is, know this, that it's no accident that you got to this point in the message because this is the most critical point. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we all have. But when we call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says we'll be saved. 
Not when our life gets perfect, not when we get better, not, not based on our works, but it's based on his work and our belief in that work. So as we pray this prayer, you're acknowledging that Jesus died for your sins and that by calling on his name and asking him to forgive you, which he's already done, you're connecting with that forgiveness and you're putting your trust and faith in him. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare today I am saved. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in-house, our prayer team will be to the left of the stage in a little bit. I'd like to ask you, just come and tell them, today I gave my life to Jesus. Would you pray for me that I can walk this out? Very simple. Uh, those of you who don't want to do that, please text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Remember, it begins by having a boldness and confidence that God loves you and that you now say, I love God. I trust God. So text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. All right? Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.